Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitkavich, and this is a podcast where readers can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check out daybeautiful.net for more author interviews and book recommendations. You can also follow us on social media at Day Beautiful on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Today's guest is a writer and attorney whose short fiction was the recipient of the 2020 Penn Robert J. Dow Short Story Prize for Emerging Writers and has appeared in publications including One Story, Tri-Quarterly, Joyland, Electric Literature, and elsewhere. She currently lives in Maryland with her husband and three sons. Her debut short story collection, Company, is out now. Please welcome Shannon Sanders. Hey, Shannon. How are you doing today? I am great. I'm so excited to be here. I feel like I have sort of cheated by being um, having my path crossed with Debutifuls like three times because mm-hmm. it's supposed to be a, a one-time debut thing, but I'm I'm really excited. I love this podcast. Oh, thank you so much. No, I am so excited that you're here. Um, you know, I first came across you, what, three years? 2020? Yeah. When you yeah. were in the best debut short story collection after you won the uh, Penn Robert J. Dow Short Story Prize for Emerging Writers. Uh, and I guess we'll start there. We won't even talk about why you're really here now. What was that like? You know, you publish your first short story ever, and then you win a prize, and then you're published in a cl- anthology, which is my personal favorite anthology every year. What's that? What was that like? Take me back to 2020. Okay. Um, I'm excited that I get to tell this story because I don't usually get to talk about this, but oh, yes. this being about debuts, this is the perfect place, I think, to tell this story. Um, so that award that was awarded in 2020 was for my debut short story, which came out in 2019. Mm-hmm. And I had been you know, writing short stories for a little while as of the time when I published that one, but I didn't really start to kind of hit um, acceptances in literary magazines until late 2018. And so my first publications all kind of came out in early 2019. Mm -hmm. And I had like kind of a a cascade of maybe three or four of them that came out all within the same kind of like three month period. So between March 2019, which is when The Good Good Men came out, and I guess May 2019. um, And they all came out really close together. And so I had one short story that came out. And ultimately, all of these stories are in the book that that we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. But um, the editor in chief of one of the magazines reached out to your debut short stories. By any chance, is this your debut? Can we nominate you for it? And I really wanted her to be able to do that. I was really honored and excited to be able to say yes. But I realized that it was the later of two stories by literally just like a couple weeks, you mm-hmm. know. And so I had to say, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry, but it's not. And I really am regretful that it's not. Um, and she said, oh, no worries. I think you should go to the editor of the other magazine where your de- debut did come out and ask them to nominate you, too. And so I went to... Um, Puerto del Sol, which published The Good Good Men. And I said, hey, by any chance, would you be willing to nominate me for this? And they said, oh, sure. Like, you know, I think it's good for the magazines, too, for for uh, for authors to win. And so she did nominate me. And then that story won instead. Yeah. So and, you know, I, I won't even say which one the other story is, because I, I always am like, I don't even want people to tell me if they like one story better than the other. Yeah. I'm just um but people say you know that the one that won is what they think of as one of my my best stories and so and so I'm I feel really excited that it worked out that way and it just was like so much luck that I ended up being able to go to the other magazine um 
But yeah, that was so cool. And it was really good for just momentum because I felt I got the news that I won that prize in February 2020. Mm -hmm. And I was then able to kind of use that momentum to get me through the beginning of the pandemic and like everything really shutting down and starting to raise all these questions for me about like whether I was going to actually be able to fit writing into my life as a working parent. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the timing was amazing and it was really super um, exciting just to start connecting with readers that way and stay beautiful and just other different pockets of the literary community. Yeah. I, um, one, I love that you brought up that, like you asked, I mean, I know there that's not the beginning of the story, but I, I think like, you know, emerging writers who just are publishing their first short stories should think about like, it never hurts to ask anything. Can you, yeah. like, I mean, um, but that's great. Yeah. I, you know, I re that was, I think the second year I had done like the mini round table of tell me about yourself, like very, very short. And I, I usually pick like just a handful of the the 12 writers in the anthology, the 12 uh, awarded writers, just because I think a round table with 12 writers is like way too long. And like, yeah, yours was just one of mm -hmm. my favorites. It super stood out. And I agree. It really does. I mean, I don't, there's so many literary magazines out there. And because of like that, I started reading, you know, it's just like, it's good for everyone all around. Like it's like it's we're a community, you know. Um, you so we'll jump into company, and then I will backtrack to the pandemic a little bit in that time. But uh, tell readers what company is all about, and like what you were trying to do with like this collection. Company is a linked collection of short stories and all or most of them touch on members of this one multi-generational Black family on the East Coast. So uh, the first generation was entrepreneurs in Atlantic City, and then their children migrated to the D.C. area, Philly, Atlanta, mm -hmm. um, and then raised children in the kind of um, millennial generation, I guess. So the oldest of the, of the family would have been making their bones in the 60s. And then the youngest members of the family are millennials who are coming of age sort of at the time of some of the later stories. And each of the stories involves an interaction where there is a visit between some guest and a host. And that's kind of what the title riffs on is that all of these interactions kick up different tensions and conflicts and, and old history. Um, and I think of it as being a book that's also very much about inheritance and legacy. Mm -hmm. and the ways in which experiences that our grandparents or our, our parents had can sort of echo into later generations and kind of impact the experience of being um, a young person coming of age. Yeah, I um, I really love like family stories. Uh, I talk a lot about, or maybe I don't talk a lot about it, but like if my sister and I had like a weird, not weird relationship, but like we weren't friends for a long time. Then we were roommates and we weren't friends. So like the idea of just like family dynamics is uh, like just vital to me. And I loved that this is a linked collection because I really do feel like I got to know this family. Um, when you were writing these short stories, you know, way back when, three, four, five, six years ago, whatever, what, what drew you to continuing to write about one extended family? I also love linked collections and linked stories. I think that it's really satisfying to mm. um, to recognize a character in a different context. So I really love the idea that like perspective can shift so much between stories depending on who is telling mm -hmm. the story. 
And even, you know, sort of like the same story, the same family anecdote has a completely different color. I'm sure when your sister tells it, than when, when you do, Um, I'm one of two siblings as well. I have a younger brother Mm -hmm. and we have recently kind of in our thirties, like been revisiting some childhood memories and having just like these collidingly different um, takes on what actually happened, what, what it meant. Um, So when I was writing the stories, I did not think I was writing a book at first. I started writing the stories in 2016 Mm. and I wrote a few of them all in again, like sort of a condensed time period. I just kind of like got on a roll and wrote, I would say four of the stories in 2016 um, and then continuing into 2017 and 2018. And as I was writing the second one, I was, I was pretty new to writing literary short stories and just kind of like generating new material. But I was not new to writing because I wrote a lot of fan fiction when I was in high school and college. Oh, yes. um, and one thing that I think is really cool about fan fiction and that I think is really formative probably for a lot of writers is that you begin with some material. So you don't have to dig as far as generating character and plot and, and context all from scratch. Like, you know who the characters are and you're very familiar with them because you have the canonical story that's in, you know, the, the book or the movie or whatever it is. Um, for me, it was the X-Files. So it was TV mm. and um, you can play so much more because you already know who the characters are. You yeah. know what they look like, you know, sort of what their mannerisms are and all of that stuff. And so you just can be so much more creative, I think in other ways, because you are not so focused on having to create the world from scratch and the characters from scratch. And I I didn't really put this together until I was like starting to think about doing this interview. But I think that probably that is what drew me to pulling characters from a previously written story that I had written and continuing the overall narrative in another story featuring the same character. So the the first story in the book is the one that won the Dow Prize, The Good Good Men. Mm -hmm. That's the first story that I wrote chronologically. And then there's a story that appears much later in the book the title story company. And that is the second story that I wrote chronologically. And my reason for writing that one was that I really wanted to explore kind of a, a central, but not point of view character from the first story. I wanted mm-hmm. to just kind of like catch up with her and see if there was any more that I could say about her. And then I, I feel like I just kind of continued to do that for the first maybe year of writing the stories that ended up being in the book. Yeah. I'm going to like pause on company and talk about fan fiction x-files for a second uh my one thing about x-files i never watched it and literally like three days ago i talked to lady day beautiful and we were like thinking of what new shows new shows to watch and i was like i really just want to check out x-files like i've been really into like early 90s sci-fi horror recently and it's like i'm four episodes in and it's blowing my mind um but fan fiction yeah i agree i also i'm not like a writer writer now i just like to talk to writers and but i definitely wrote fan fiction my longest one was about school of rock the jack black movie where he teaches kids how to play music oh yeah oh that's awesome <laughs> yeah it, like i i saw that in ninth grade and it like changed my life i won't get into why and how but like yeah and that um but yeah fan fiction is so vital and i i i in a way, I think it like teaches a lot of people bad things about like the publishing industry. And like, they yes. think like, you know, but it's also like, if you don't take it too seriously, it's like, yeah, you, you can just hone your craft. Like, I don't need to worry about what Mulder looks like or Scully looks like yeah. or their actions. I have it and I can create story. I can create a tone. I can create all this stuff. That's amazing. 
Um, did you write anything else other than X Files, or was that your jam? That was my jam, but I also did some some Star Wars original trilogy stuff. Yes. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was I was very cool in high school. You can tell. I, yeah, we would have been best friends. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. So, as like you are exploring these characters from different perspectives, were you like, did you learn anything? I mean, I'm sure you did, but what did you learn about the characters that maybe you revisited that were side characters, or did, were you surprised on how people turned out? Yeah, well, so the second story that I wrote, which again was the title mm-hmm. story, I really kind of did a deep dive into the background of the family, and I just sort of sketched out who all the central characters were. So the family tree kind of is centered on these four sisters who came of age in the 70s and 80s. Um, And so because I was able to sort of explore who they were as children, then some of the later stories that I wrote just sort of extrapolated what would a child who had this role in the family be doing later in life? How would she relate to her sisters and her parents and um, the children of the next generation? Mm -hmm. so yeah, and I, I another thing I'm really interested in is that sibling relationship and sort of ordinal positioning, birth order, and how much of it is really what it what it claims to be. Meaning, you know, birth order determines so many things about personality and life fate, and how much of that is just kind of like a, a self fulfilling prophecy that people um, lean into because they think that they should. So I started to really think about just the different ways that all of these lives might have turned out. And then as things kind of happened in my life, so, you know, 2020 was the beginning of the pandemic Mm -hmm. and lots of stuff changed then. But before that, in 2018, I became a parent. My my oldest son was born then. And um, I started to have just sort of different interests, different concerns. And so I began to write stories that were about questions that surround like becoming a parent or what early parenthood is like. Um, And yeah, I think that the stories just kind of flowed in that way. And then, of course, as I started to interact with my agent about the book and with my my eventual editor about the book, they raised questions. They had these um, these sort of holes that they saw that they wanted me to fill with other stories. So I got a little bit of direction with some of the later stories, which was really great and useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I kind of want to talk about um, with you specifically, just because you won a prize that is like you know, relatively big, right? Um, or at least it, it helps with a lot of things i kind of want to talk about like the timeline of like that getting an agent selling etc like more so than i normally do so uh you publish a short story you win the prize in early 2020 the anthology publishes in late 2020 like september usually um what is the timeline of like agenting and selling to gray wolf etc 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 yeah um, this is a this is a good story. I, I feel like for people who are just wondering about kind of like the mm-hmm. nuts, there are so many different ways into publishing. And of course, one way that people I think aspire to is to publish a bunch of stories, catch the attention of an agent or query agents and be able to say, I have all these stories out here. Um, will you please take a look at my manuscript? And I, I think that that's a, a version. I guess I did a version of that, but I did get really lucky in some ways. So mm-hmm. um, what happened is that the Penn Dow Prize was uh, announced in February 2020. So all of the prize winners were kind of announced and there were different outlets that were reported on that prize. And the person who would become my agent, Rako Davis at De Fiori and Company, is a person who I think reads that prize winning anthology every year. But she also checks to see, you know, who won the prize beforehand. Mm-hmm. So 
contacted me in February 2020 and said that she had read the story that won the award and also went and checked my website to see if I had anything else published. So I guess my only unsolicited advice is make sure you have your work on your website if you are hoping for someone to notice it. Um, And so she asked if I had a manuscript ready. And at that point, I had, if I'm not mistaken, seven or eight of the stories that would become the 13 stories in the book. Um, Most or all of them were on my website because they had mostly been published at that point. And so I was able to tell her, yeah, I have something like a manuscript. Um, And, you know, of course, there's always that discussion about, do you have a novel? If not, you know, what shape do you think these stories could take? And I got really lucky in that Reiko is really a champion of short stories. She she likes them. You know, she sees their intrinsic value. And she didn't really push about there being a novel draft to come. But I know that a lot of writers have a different experience with agents really wanting that. Um, so in February 2020, we had, we had conversations about what I was working on. And I told her that I would set a goal of getting her... Um, a full manuscript by that summer so that we could talk about taking it out on submission. And then of course the pandemic began or it hit the US. And I had also just started this brand new job in my my day job life. Um, and I had an 18 month old or something. And then over that summer, I found out I was expecting twins and we did not have childcare because it wasn't safe to have a nanny in the, in the house anymore. Um, and so everything just like super fell apart. I was working full-time from home with a toddler without a sitter, also expecting twins. So I was like sick all the time and stuff. And it was just impossible to write or work on anything. So it took a full year between when I told Reiko I would get her a draft, which was summer 2020, and when I ultimately did get her a draft, which was summer 2021. Uh, And so at that point, of course, I had three little kids. Um, But so we took the book on submission in October 2021. And uh, ultimately, so it went to auction, and then Grey Wolf ultimately ended up being the publisher that we signed with. And just to take a step back, so that anthology that you mentioned is edited by an editor formerly at Catapult named Yuka Igarashi, and she had become an editor for Grey Wolf at some point over that year. And so she ended up being the editor who acquired it. So that was really awesome because I had already worked with her really briefly once over the Penn Prize anthology. Um, And I had, you know, just a little bit of a working relationship with her. I knew kind of her style of editing and I knew that she had an appreciation for the stories and sort of the the storytelling that she would see in the stories. Um, So that was super cool. It was very full circle, but yeah, I cannot say enough things about like how that pen prize ended up sort of launching the, the, the book. Yeah. I find that so interesting. I don't keep a close eye on, like the winners of that as much as I should. I think that's going to be like a new year's resolution or something. Um, Because yeah, like things like that could happen for you and it could not happen for others. Like, I I just think like you mentioned you were very lucky and, and I think there's obviously skill and talent involved, but a lot of it is just how the wind blows some days. I think certain like young or emerging writers, I I don't want to say young because you could be any age, get frustrated with like X, Y, or Z and comparing to others and comparing not. And I just think, this is a good example of maybe it, it really is. It just some things work, some things don't, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it also has to do with kind of what your what your ability is to put muscle behind it at the right time, because mm-hmm. 
you know, when you get a bite like that, if an agent approaches you as, as one did in my case, uh, and I know that, that that in particular is very lucky because that does not happen to everyone, um, but to have the ability to set some other things aside and really work toward getting yeah. them a script, that, that is huge because I know for sure that had that happened even just a little bit later in the, in the pandemic, I would probably have not been able to be responsive at all because I just had so much other stuff and so much stress going on. But I, I found that momentum. I was super excited to be approached and stuff. And I, I really, really, really wanted to get a book into the world. That is mm -hmm. always a huge goal for me. So, yeah. And, and I don't necessarily like to ask um, parents like, Oh, what's it like being a parent who writes, but you're pretty, you've mentioned it a few times and like on social media, you're, you talk about your family, like it's out there. What was it like during the pandemic? Like what was, how did you write? I guess is what I'm asking during the pandemic with a toddler with two on the way, like what was your actual like process like? Well, as I mentioned, it took a year longer yeah. than I wanted to, to finish the manuscript. I was within striking distance of finishing it in, I would say March, 2020. And then it took until June, 2021 for me to be finished. And I could say a thousand things. I, I won't, I will not say all of the things about what it's like to try to write with little kids, but they are well said by many people in, in essays and such. But um, what I will say is that one thing that really helped me was that I signed up for some virtual workshops over that year. Um, so if there's anything good that came out of the move to everything being virtual, it was that suddenly there's these things that I could never have attended in person that were accessible. So um, I got to do Story Studio and study under Danielle Evans for a week, which was amazing because she's yeah. a... a humongous she's you know she's goals um I got to study under Tony Tula Tamudi at Crit his Brooklyn workshop mm -hmm. both of those are places I don't live and I could never have uh you know participated had they not happened virtually but um I really respond well to deadlines and so knowing that I have a workshop deadline coming up and that I have paid money to be in this workshop tell you know, really encourages me to make sure that I make good use of the opportunity um so I wrote two more of the stories for those workshops. So one of them was Bird of Paradise, which is now the second story in the book. The other was uh, The Opal Cleft, which is later in the book. And they'll both be published in the next couple of months. Yeah, yeah. And I want to talk about like the idea of creating a short story collection where some of the things are published and some of them aren't. And how do you choose what re previously published don't make it? And I guess... Yeah, so that, that's like a rambling question of like, how does one put together a short story collection? This is my favorite question to ask because like, it's different than a novel in a lot of ways. Yeah, well here, so the connective tissue of the collection, yeah. the idea that all of these stories are about company didn't come together until I had assembled, I would say six to eight of the stories. Mm. And someone else actually pointed it out to me. Someone was like, a lot of these are about the performance of hosting and being a guest. Um, and I realized that that was true. And I also realized that I had a story that was already titled company and that ended up becoming the title of the collection. But before I had that revelation, it was really just that these were all stories about members of the same family. So I spun out like six stories that were all about the same family. And I knew that if anything was to be connected, it would be those because they all involved some of the same characters. Um, I had other stories that I wrote during the same time that did not end up making it either because they were not as 
thematically linked or because they did not involve the same characters or in one or two cases because they were a little bit too repetitive of ideas going on in the stories. Mm. So I have one story, which was actually the, the very first like acceptance I ever got, but it didn't come out until after some of the other stories did. Um, that is a really micro fictiony kind of condensed story about a woman just like encountering this this young person on the street. And I ended up expanding that and having that story become company, the title story in the book. But because the two were so similar and so resonant, even the voice is the same kind of, I could not include both of them. So, you know, one got the chop, one got to stay. Um, And then after I connected with Reiko, my agent, she said, I think we need a couple more stories that do X, Y, Z, you know, just things that she didn't see quite enough of in the collection. So I wrote those two stories and I used those workshops to kind of help me get through that and to get them into shape. Um, And then once I signed with Grey Wolf, they actually asked for a couple additional stories because they wanted to have a certain number of stories that hadn't been published before so that they could, um, you know, work their magic with starting to get like get them into the world and promote the book a little bit. So I wrote two more stories and then ended up splitting one into two pieces because um, it needed to be it needed to split up to make sense. And I ended up with 13 stories. So I started with, I think, eight, ended up with 12, and then split those last two. And then that was 13. So, yeah. Yeah. What I love about this conversation a lot is like the, I, I, you know, and I talk about it and writers talk about it. It's like writing is the art, publishing is the business. And, and I think a lot of people shy away from how much of like one influences the other. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, it is interesting. And like, because publishing is a business, right? Uh, yeah, just like the idea of how those stories evolved and, you know, they are arts, but it's like, you have to navigate things. Yeah, yeah, it's, to- it's really different. I mean, there's one story in the book that I wrote while I was not in a workshop. I was not under a ton of stress or deadlines or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and it is the longest story in the book. And it's probably the most kind of meandering and I can really tell rereading some of the stories what a difference it makes to be writing just because like you sat down and felt like it one day versus to be writing because you are trying to accomplish something with the writing um which is not to say that one is a better way or or a, a less good way it's just very different in the way that the process takes place you know yeah yeah exactly it's like I'm sure the questions that were asked or not the questions, the uh, stories that were asked of, or, you know, can we do this? Yeah. I could, I mean, like if you were like Adam pointing out which one was like written because someone asked, like I would never be able to tell. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Like the, the quality is there. The passion is there. Um, I want to dive a little into your, you, you said, and I think a lot of writers would say this, like you always want to get a book out in the world. What was your relationship with reading and writing, you know, growing up, teens, early adulthood? I was a voracious kid reader. So I was one of the people who the Scholastic Book Fair was my my big day, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a big reader of lots of different types of things, but I got very into, and again, I think this goes back to like world building. I was very into some serials. So the Babysitter's Club, I was yeah. a huge Babysitter's Club fan. And I was really fascinated with the way that first Anne Martin and then I guess her ghostwriters or whatever 
um, just kept like layering onto this fictional town and making more and more content out of those same characters. Um, but I was I was also really into ghost stories. I read a lot of Mary Downing Hahn. Um, she was the one who was writing all those books about like kids moving into haunted houses. Um, I mm. read a lot of Catherine Rice. She had some slightly more adolescent uh, ghost books. And then as I got into high school, or even before that, I guess probably middle school, but I discovered, you know, Toni Morrison, Octavia Butler, and I was really, really into Toni Morrison and Octavia Butler for a while. Um, and Stephen King, I did a lot of that. Um, mm -hmm. I went away to summer camp one year and I read Flowers in the Attic by V.C. Andrews, and mm -hmm. it just blew my mind wide open. Um, I was, I think, 11 or so, and that's probably too young sure. for that book but i was just completely flabbergasted by just the the suspense of it um so yeah i mean i was doing a lot of my living in the books i was reading and then kind of being pulled away to go to school and talk to people mm -hmm. and stuff um yeah and then in college i majored in english excuse me english literature with a pre-law focus and so i got to take a bunch of really cool seminars and stuff i took a tony morrison seminar and mm learned more about how to read those novels and what to read into them and kind of how to um how to how to understand subtext and and that kind of stuff and i got to start taking some creative writing classes but i did not really do anything with it until much later cuz you know i went to law school afterwards so all of the writing was um unfun <laughs> yeah i um took my undergrad uh was in like english education i was i went to school to be a teacher, which I miserably failed at, but I took a, like a African-American literature post Harlem Renaissance class, like a year before I should have like, you know, with numbers and whatever, how they want you to. And we had to write a big paper on one book. And I wrote on jazz by Toni Morrison. And the professor was really great. And he's also like, you have, you know, I mean, I, I got like a B on the paper, but he, like one of the comments was like, he's like, you can, it, I, I don't know exactly what it was, but it's like, you can, learn more about like it's like about it and like it really taught me like oh I need to be thinking of books differently like you know when yeah. I was a sophomore in college and like it was really good constructive criticism feedback and like that's really where I started started to shift how I read the first time because then I didn't read for a long time after college because I was so burned out yeah. um your bio just says you live and work near DC you have this coming out MFA no no I don't have an okay. MFA. I went to law school after college. Um, and so I'm an attorney. I work for a financial mm -hmm. regulator. So it could not be more different probably from creative writing. Um, yeah. yeah. During that time in law school, because you're doing law school stuff, were you reading fiction still? Was I'm there sure time? Was. Yeah. I, well, mm, there wasn't time, but <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would sneak probably and take the time. But yeah, yeah. I mean, Law school is so much reading. It's just such a, a heavy lift that I'm, I don't think I had the time that I did before or after for sure. But as soon as law school was over, I was definitely back to it. Um, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I didn't do an MFA. I did take some just local workshops when I was kind of settling into my job after law school and, you know, wanting to meet some people and, and stuff. I, I took workshops in the DC area. There's a place in Bethesda called the Writer's Center that I like to shout out because they had yeah. really great all levels workshops. And so it felt very accessible. And that is where I drafted most of the, the wow. stories. Um, 
but yeah, so I mean, I was doing a lot of kind of the same style of reading probably as I did as a kid. I was really into stuff that was literary, but sometimes with like speculative um, notes to it, you know, mm-hmm. or, or slipstream, I guess. And I started to get into more contemporary novels around that time, probably um, after law school, I would say. And yeah. short stories became a big thing for me. So this is like around the time when Jennifer Egan published uh, A Visit from the Goon Squad. Mm-hmm. And I had, I I think I had recently, as of graduating from law school, read Danielle Evans's first collection before you suffocate your own fool self. Mm. And again, I, I was just like, it just really opened my eyes to how much is possible with short stories, especially. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was huge. For sure. I, yeah, I graduated college in 2011 and then didn't really start reading again until 2015. And that was like a big year where it's like, I read current things, but things I had missed recently. Yeah. Uh, like I had read books in between 2011 and 2015, but I was not like thinking about literature. I was yeah. just, you know, uh, yeah. anyway, yeah, it's, um, it's like interesting, like how a lot of people in the publishing world, it, uh, it's like you have that year of like inspiration where like all these books come out or you had you finally had time to read books in the past like that came out recently um, you shouted out a few like Daniel Evans uh, and a few other writers um, but what books are like your jam that you're reading now that you read recently that you need people to read yeah um, okay so a few recent ones so Daniel Evans second collection obviously uh, <laughs> the office of historical correction mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a must read, I think. Um, I just finished Tessa Hadley's book that came out after the funeral, which is short stories again. And she's just like a whiz at short stories. She's so amazing. Um, And Sadiq Fofana's collection, Stories from the Tenants Downstairs, Mm. which is linked short stories. They're linked by a geographic place. They all take place in one apartment building. Um, My, this is not, this is a a writer who, for me, I think that she is probably better known for her nonfiction and for her novel, but her short stories are a a North star for me. Lisa Taddeo, she published a book Mm. called Ghost Lover, I think last year, and it's short stories. And they all kind of center on this theme of women and their desire. And in some cases, like their lack of control over their desire. And that book is amazing. She's so funny. Um, Mahohodi McKenney's collection that just came out, Innards, is a really good one. And then I suppose I should include a novel on this list because I love novels too. Um, so Donnie Walton, the final revival of Opal and Nev, mm-hmm. which is yeah, it's yeah. it's really amazing. It's about like music journalism in a way. Um, yeah. and it is it is super cool. Um, and then I'm I'm gonna do an event next week with a, a writer named Megan Kamale Kakimoto. Mm-hmm. Uh, about her book, which is called Every Drop is a Man's Nightmare. And that is another linked collection that I think is really outstanding. Um, Yeah. And then I am very much looking forward to the fraud Zadie Smith's book that's coming out, um, which I think is going to be a little departure for her because it's historical fiction, but she is, she never misses in my opinion. So I'm excited about that. Um, And then I know other people have shouted this one out on this podcast, but Vanessa Chan, The Storm We Made, January, I think, when that's coming out and um yeah I'm very excited about that when I've heard really good things and Vanessa is such a an amazing member of like the literary circuit so yeah yeah it is so good uh I think I mentioned this on like the last podcast that someone had shouted her out it's like unless like 
something crazy happens, she will be like a guest in January, which uh yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to. Um two two like last question. No, just one last question. One last question. Uh you've shattered a lot of short stories, a few novels. What's the next? Stories, novel? What's what are you looking at? Um, I'm working on a novel and I have been working on it for some time since definitely when I when I started to shop the short story collection mm. around. But now it's actually almost finished because I have finally got kids who sleep through the night at this point. Mm -hmm. So now I'm actually close to finishing it. And then I will, um, unless my agent tells me it's unsellable, I, I assume we'll take it on submission sometime in the near future. Um, and yeah, I so I actually in the auction for the short story collection, I hope I'm allowed to say this. I assume I am. Um, I did get one bid on both books. And the decision that we made was that we really wanted to focus on company and make sure that it got its, you know, its its mm -hmm. entry into the world and that we did its due and just give me a little bit more time to finish the novel. But that is where I am right now. Um, and then the novel, in case anyone is interested, is also going to feature characters who are present in the short story collection. So I have not yet pulled myself totally away from linking stuff together. Thank you so much to Shannon Sanders for joining the Debutful podcast to discuss her debut short story collection, Company, which is out now via Grey Wolf Press. You can find her on the internet at shannonsandersrights.com, on Twitter at shandersrights, that's shandersrights, and on Instagram at i.exaggerate. You can find Debutiful at debutiful.net, on all social media at Debutiful. And as always, I'm Adam, this is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful.